Yeah, that's weird because I can't imagine you hating anybody. I've known you for so long now. Yeah, I mean, it's like... I mean, I've never really had any enemies, so I've never really had a reason to dislike someone as much as I do. Yeah, everybody's always liked you, and you've seemed to like everybody. Anyway, hello, everybody, and welcome to Unbothered by Ty Rivera. Today we are on location at Earl Acres. (laughs) Here in the heart of West Hollywood with Mr. Earl Skakel, everybody's favorite hater. (laughs) Well, this is legit the only podcast I've ever asked to be on. No, and I'm glad you did, and I appreciate that, and that's an honor, because I know you don't even like... uh... I don't even like my own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) For anyone that's not familiar, Inappropriate Earl is Earl Skakel's podcast, and it's uh, such a great podcast. I listen to it quite a bit, because I love Roast Battle, and you tend to talk to a lot of the Roast Battle comics yeah i mean i have such a love for the show because it's done so much for me like that uh i like to expose like the rising stars on the show and some of the more established people and uh, it's it's such a fascinating show to be a part of yeah and some of the roast battle comics i know just from the scene but i didn't really know their story and then they go on um inappropriate earl and i'm like oh okay now i feel like i actually know something about that person and it gives me a, a better way to talk to them the next time I see them. Because I'm like, oh, I heard you on Earl. Yeah. Um, what I was going to ask you, though, or tell you, though, uh, or check in with you on, did you see that um, thread I got in an argument on, like, last week about Roast Battle? No. I've, you know, I've almost thought of deleting all my social media. Uh, yeah. But, but you can't, because if you have a podcast, you have to on facebook instagram and so uh um i have not seen it but what's well it was this guy uh and i won't mention his name just because i don't want to throw him under the bus but uh the, the thing that got on my nerves about it was he was claiming that roast battle was bad for the la comedy community and this guy isn't even really on the scene as a comic so that was annoying. And the other thing is, I've seen Rose Battle help people so much, not just in you know getting a TV credit or getting a check, but also in be able, being able to write actual jokes. I've seen a lot of comics grow from Rose Battle as far as just their joke writing went. I mean, the show's not for everyone. I mean, it's definitely a, a, a sense of humor that's uh, aggressive and... Uh in the uh, Don Rickles-esque mode. Uh, but that's the kind of humor I love. And Me too. And that part I get. Like, you know, if that had been his, if he had just been like, you know, in my opinion, Rose Battle isn't a good show or a fun show. But to say it's bad for the comedy community didn't make sense to me. It was like, how is it bad for the comedy community? I mean, I can't disagree uh, any more than than I can on that because it's helped elevate so many people has comics after they go on it. It's helped elevate me. I mean, uh, you know, people like uh, Olivia Grace, uh, you know, her stature's grown a hundredfold. Uh, you know, Pat Barker. Uh, I mean, there's Frank Castillo. Uh, I mean, uh, Alex Hooper, Connor McSpadden. I mean, yeah. Con- Connor McSpadden was already a good comic, but like Rose Battle definitely did help him get a little bit more on the radar. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, I could go on and on. Doug Fager, who's amazing. Uh, Anna Valenzuela, uh, Joe Dosh. Uh, I mean, I'm forgetting names, but it's 
Joe Dosh, your moment with Joe Dosh was one of the best to me. Well, when you guys went after Joe DeRosa. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... You know, I it, roast battles hard for me doing roast because uh, in one, there's not many people I dislike. I would prefer to battle them because I don't care about hurting their feelings. But like with someone like Joe, who I'm dear friends with, uh, I just love him to death. You know, you're almost forced to say, "Well, I don't think Joe's a funny comic," even though I think he's great. Uh-huh. Um, and we, you know, we went at it hard. Like he, he hit me on my age, you know, because I think I'm the oldest roaster. That's like active, um, and I'm hitting him on you know some gay subjects, and you know, and then at one point we stopped battling each other, and just Joe DeRosa, he went after you, like he went after you as a judge. It wasn't like anything personal, but he just, he went after you, and then you went after him, and then he told you, uh, "Isn't that a bit inside?" Because you. Uh, Mentioned somebody he had dated, and he was like, "Isn't that a bit inside?" And you're like, "Your whole career is inside," <laughs> which was completely improv. Like, and it's dang- that's how I do it. Uh, <laughs> it's very dangerous to, uh, you know, not have prepared material like that. But um, you know, I think I said something about him and Sarah Tiana. Yeah, no, and it was perfect. It was so hilarious. And. Uh, I think it was something along the lines of uh, the last funny thing you had in your mouth was Sarah Tiana's pussy juice. Because <laughs> uh, he had said something that was really funny. I think he said, I look like a grown-up Brad Williams. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the part where we love each other. I love Joe DeRosa. So it's like we're giving it to each other. And then Joe, I love, you know, he chimed in. and uh, Yeah, well, you and Joe at that point just verbally jumped him. <laughs> like it was, there was no way he was going to come back from that. Because you guys were just relentless and you guys were both going after him. And it was hilarious to watch. But it cost me the win because uh, Eddie Ift was like, well, I was going to vote for you, Earl, but fuck you. I'm voting for Joe. <laughs> and so we ended up tying. What so. was Eddie? What did Eddie say the fuck you about? What? Uh, Eddie said something about, uh, I, I might have some family members who have some uh, legal problems. <laughs> and uh, he, he brought that to everyone's attention. And I just looked at him and I said, well, at least someone in my family can kill Eddie. <laughs> Just stupid. It's not the greatest line. No, but it's, uh, yeah, and especially in the moment and everybody, oh, oh. I know, yeah, those goons will really. <laughs> the fucking peanut gallery gets going, and uh, and Eddie's great. I mean, he's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, that was a great moment. Yeah, I used to love being part of the peanut gallery. Tonight I'll be there, but, you know, ever since that girl called the fire marshal, and change the whole dynamic up in the belly room. It's made it so you can't really hang out the same way. Which really, like, I still try and understand that night. Uh, you, you know, it's like you're trying to get on roast battle. And and whether you like the show or not, you know, it's the hottest show in L.A. for three years running. Which is, you've been on the scene. Yeah. I've never seen a show last this long in terms of popularity. And, you know, she was upset, I think, because Moses... Uh, she was going on earlier in the show, and, mm-hmm. and she wanted to go on in front of Mike Lawrence, which is, you know, I get, but it's like, you know, you go on when Moses tells you you go on. Yeah. And uh, so she called up fire marshal, so, uh, you know, the atmosphere is still good, but it's, it's not maybe quite as electric as it used to be. 
Yeah, because once they did that, suddenly we weren't, like, the comics weren't allowed to go in the same way. Um, and, you know, you couldn't, like, all pile up in that in that area right before the bathrooms. And that's where we all used to pile up. And a lot of times it was the comics, especially the young ones, that would really, like, take over the chants once yeah. Moses would say something or, you know, Josh or... Whoever was leading the chant, that's who would really take it over, you know? So it seems like the audience has started to catch on better, though, because for a minute there, it would seem like the audience didn't know what to do without the comics there, kind of. Yeah, I think uh, after Montreal, especially, we got a lot of new people who hadn't seen the show uh, except on TV. And it it is different on TV than live. Uh, So I think they were unsure of, do we boo when something bad happens? Do we... You know what do we do? And uh, so it, it took a while to uh, acclimate them to the live element of the show. Yeah, one thing I wanted to find out from you was because um, on the show you play the house hater, and with that you're like the house racist too, and you'll go pretty deep. <laughs> Real deep. <laughs> yeah, you do go real deep. Uh, how did you originally figure out that that was okay or that they would put up with that review? Because you'll say anything. When Pretty you're... much. I mean, there's. I won't say the N-word. Uh, you have said no, it, No, I've never said it. You have. I've you never sang said it, it one time. <laughs> I've never said it in there. Oh, you... outside of there, I say it all the time. <laughs> you sang it one time. Well, uh, yeah, I sang it one time. Because <laughs> Coach T was playing that song... Um, blank we word, it. we made it. Yeah. Blank word, we made it. And so I might have, you know, thrown in a acapella. See, you knew exactly what I was talking about once. I was like, you this is why it. I want to do your show because I knew, like, you keep it real. Yeah, and I and I pay attention. I've known you forever now, so I definitely do pay attention. And uh, Earl the Hater is my favorite. I love watching you go after people. Well, you know, it it, it started, uh, you know. The, these two people don't get enough credit for the success of Roast Battle, but Kenny Lyon and uh, Josh Martin, you know, that's how it started. You know, two, I don't like saying open micers, because mm-hmm. that's like dismissive, but two comics. Uh, that were open micers at the time, though. Yeah, but I don't now like... they've grown. You know, I don't even like, you know, uh, I met one of my favorite actors the other day, and he's what you would call a character actor, and I hate... That's kind of insulting. Yeah. Uh, so, so two uh, maybe unknown comics at the time, Kenny and Josh, were going to get into a fight. And Moses said, why don't you guys battle instead? You can't, you can't fight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so after that took off, you know, the next week, two, two more people wanted to battle. And uh, I wasn't past at the comedy store yet, so I was getting more and more frustrated with each month. And each day I was up there. So I thought, I'm just going to imitate a certain employee here. Maybe who's in charge of doling out <laughs> spots. I don't want to get sued. Uh, wow, well, Earl. Well, I mean, uh, I can't watch an NBA game. It's like gorillas in the mist or something. <laughs> and I would throw out lines like that. And uh-huh. In those early few months, me and Moses saved every battle. Because, uh, you know, at what point one of the headlining battles... Uh, early on, just to show you how far this show has come, was Jim Diggity against Scott Kidd. 
Oh, really? So, uh, I mean, there weren't really head, you know, it, it was just battles. Yeah. It wasn't really a, a featured headline. But, I mean, that's like, and nothing against those guys, but like now it's, you know, me against Jimmy Carr. Mm-hmm. So, or not me, but like Sarah Tiana against Mike Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, so that's like, uh, but so back then, the show needed a little pepper on the steak mm-hmm. to uh, keep the room going. And me and Moses would just, we just have this amazing chemistry, even though we don't really know each other that well. You know, just as comics. Sometimes that's the best, though, when you don't know somebody off, or you know, you know them, but you're not like right. in their life, hearing their problems, that kind of stuff. Because then you can still just have fun when it's time to have fun, and you don't know what else is going on in their life as far as like, you know anything that. Yeah. might have happened that was tragic or dragging them down. It's just kind of like, oh, no, when we see each other, this is what we do. Yeah, this is like our playtime for, you know, two hours a week. And uh, he's been amazing to me. You know, uh, he's a total team player. Like, you know, I think we both know some comics who, if they were the host of Roast Battle, they wouldn't want a side guy hogging mics. or. Yeah, he's really great about that, even the way he's always talking about the wave. Yeah, and the wave, uh, they're amazing and... Um, so How far in did they start? Pretty early on. I mean, I think it was me and Moses maybe the first two months. And then I think, it, you know, I think the original uh, Negro Wave was uh, Keith Soul, Jack Knight, and uh, maybe Jamar. And then uh, I, for, for whatever reason, they left one at a time and then jeremiah came in which is the funniest thing that he's the leader of the negro way yeah he's like the whitest guy you could find i know but that's like roast battle that's like yeah it makes perfect sense in the the show yeah and then you have a house racist which you know there's a lot of dumb people out there that think i'm actually racist I mean, do you think a, a show that's hosted by a black guy would have an actual racist on the show? Yeah, do you get a lot of that still? Not too much, because now I'm now I this month was February, so it's Black History Month. So there was like, a, or you know, last month. Uh-huh. Uh, so there was like just a lot of open softballs for me to hit. Um, now I'm more of a just a hater, hating on the show. You know, the network. You know. The judges shitting on them, and you know, shitting on Moses. Even though obviously, I, like, he's been amazing to me. Uh, and you know, if the if the battles are bad, you know, you need like a uh, you know a pressure release valve of that. Well, that's the thing between you, Moses, and the wave. A lot of times, that's what saves the really bad battles. Like people don't even realize how bad they are because you guys just jump in and start yeah. kind of taking over. And it's also good that you guys will also sit back a lot of times if like a if a battle's going really well. Oh yeah, we're not needed. Yeah, you guys do as little as possible, which is also good in its own art. You know, trying to know when you go in and when you don't. It's key. I mean, like last week, the main event was uh, probably the best main event we've ever had. It was uh, Doug Fager and Pat Barker. Um, And it was uh, like, I don't think I said one thing, you know. Who won? Uh, It was so good. They both won. I think it's, I don't even think they called it a draw. I think each of them got a win because it was so, it was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, they're both amazing and uh both two guys I'm petrified to face. Uh, 
Yeah, I missed it. I wanted to ask you one thing, though, because like I said, I have been listening to Inappropriate Earl. Keep it real. <laughs> I have been listening to Inappropriate Earl, and a couple of times you've mentioned something that's bothered you, and you said that a comic had said something about you during a roast battle that wasn't true, and that that's the only place you draw the line. Who was the comic, and what did they say? Well, I'm not, uh, I don't like to mention names because uh, they're not here. That's the only, I'll talk about anything. I'm an open book. You want to talk about relationships? uh, um, There was a, you know, people are going to understand who I'm talking about, but I just, I don't want to give, I just. You don't want to besmirch their name? (laughs) I mean, they've already done that, but uh, there was a recent battle that said, that I had cheated on somebody. I did not. And uh, it was done on TV. And, um, you know, it was just the whole left side of the House of Blues looked at me. And uh, I had a executive from the show come up to me after who loves me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Comedy Central has been amazing to me. Uh, you know, when you go 14 years with virtually no success, it's like, to be embraced by the number one comedy network is like pretty neat. And uh, they said, you didn't really cheat on so-and-so. And it's like, so that's like, you know, no, I didn't. And uh, so it's just, I mean, that to me is, there are no rules in roast battle. So uh, I think there's unwritten rules uh, that, you know, I've, I've done, let me see, 12 battles. I've never once told a lie. Uh, yeah, and it just—it's uh, you know I can't say it's created a problem with me and someone else, but uh, let's just say this: we haven't talked since. So, uh, <clears throat> so you guys were talking before. Um, you know, we were uh, you know cordial with each other, and then um, you know uh, you know we uh, had a bit of a dip in our uh, communications. <laughs> Uh, and then that happened and, you know, what bothered me the most about it was like, I had people like, um, you know, like people I really respect and that I know respect me, look at me just with this, you didn't cheat on her, did you? And it's like, no, I, I, it's funny thing. I never even came close to cheating on her. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, in comedy, uh, perceptions, reality, uh, and so, uh, and I still get people coming. I had someone come up to me last night at the comedy store and ask me about the joke. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a similar situation happened uh, with uh, a girlfriend that we both know. I'll call her girlfriend number one. <laughs> girlfriend number one. Well, I don't like saying their name because maybe they don't yeah, want Yeah, no, no, the, I get um, it. Uh, you and know, I know who you're talking about, and she's still active enough, and enough people know her that, right. yeah, if you were to even say the first name, it would be like, right. okay, we all know who that is. So you know. I have three, uh, my last three girlfriends have been comics. I think if you know me, or if you know me, if you give a shit about me, you know who they are. So uh, there's only one that I didn't know. If we're, if we're calling them girlfriend number one, two, and three, number two, I actually didn't. And she's ever awesome. Meet. Uh, we still talk girlfriend number two. Uh, she's amazing um so but with girlfriend number one uh i used to give a girl a ride home from the comedy store every night and this girl was she lives on my street she's uh 
I should say, famous or infamous, depending on your uh, perspective, for uh, uh, hanging out with a lot of comics. Okay. Fucking them. I, I don't know why I'm being... Yeah. And uh, But with me and her, we, she was like a younger sister to me. I had no sexual interest in her. Uh, typically the type of girl that I would normally go for, you know, brunette, huge tits. But we, I never even touched her. Someone told uh, a drunk comedy store waitress, who will definitely go unnameless, uh, told girlfriend number one, you know, I think, I don't know what she exactly said, but it was something along the lines of, I think Earl's fucking this girl. And then that was the uh, genesis of uh, my problems there. So. Yeah, that's horrible. Well, You've had, but uh, like, here's the thing. You have your situations, but they always stay very discreet, which I don't know how you do that, how you keep everything from everybody finding out all the time. Because I don't even fuck anybody on the scene, and there's a million rumors going around about me all the time. And you actually date different people on the scene. And for some reason, aside from this thing that you mentioned with Roast Battle, where people have been asking about it, um, well, it was such a specific joke that there's no way anyone could uh, mistake it for being being at anybody else but me. Because he uh, said, well, uh, comic number three's last uh, 50-year-old boyfriend cheated on her. And literally, as soon as the joke was said, the whole room, just, the whole left side of the room looked at me. And, you know, uh, like, I was sitting at, behind the judges that night because... You know, Dr. Ken, who's been amazing to me, just another benefit of Roast Battle was like, I'd like to meet Earl. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy to me that, like, someone that famous uh, wants to meet me. Yeah. And he comes up to me and says, hey, can I take a picture with you? And it's like, well, this is, like, so surreal. that Like, I mean, little things like that make me feel so good. Uh-huh. Someone like him, uh, and he was a fan of me from the first season of Roast Battle because I... For anyone who's ever seen my me battle, I, I basically am doing an impression of the wrestler Rick Rude, who uh, was just beautiful. Just, I was in love with Rick Rude. Right. Yeah. So he heart attack was that what took him out? Um. He. Um. You know, it's hard to say exactly what a pro wrestler dies from because there's usually uh, uh, so many variables um yeah i guess you could say heart attack he uh it's really sad uh he was wrestling my favorite wrestler of all time sting and uh in japan and not that this is a wrestling uh uh show so i don't want to lose your uh, viewers but like uh, sting had dropped him on the edge of the ring and his small back went right on the edge and he broke like several vertebrae sting not knowing Picked him up again, uh, dropped him basically on a broken back, uh, and so ever since then he was pain pill city and you know uh, whatever else he was taking. So, but the healthy Rick Rude that I like to remember is he's a great bad guy and he was just a cocky heel, and that's what I I don't really like battling from the standpoint of I have to come up with a a creative way to do it. Because I can't, if you and I were ever were to battle, and we never will, because we know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> I couldn't sit there and go, just in my own voice, well, Ty, I know this guy you fucked, and he said you had a small dick. I would have to say it in like a Rick Rude, 
you know, type of... Yeah, and your intros are great, too, except for the, the triplets did fuck the last one, or was that the last one? I cannot blame them. Uh, <laughs> it was horrible acting. I blame them 100%. It was... That was the worst. It Well, let me... <laughs> Not once again. I have to like bring pro wrestling into this. Uh, now that Rick Rude has passed, I, Sting is my favorite. Long story short, there was a um, it was a match. Um, it was Hulk Hogan against Roddy Piper, and uh, all of a sudden, the whole NWO, basically ten bad guys, started beating the shit out of Piper. And then from the corner of the arena, a Sting comes out, and he comes to the ring. And it's not Sting. He was just dressed as Sting. And then another Sting comes out. And then two more Stings come out. And then three Stings come out. And then two Stings come out. And one of them is the actual Sting. And so one of the bad guys hits the fake Sting. The fake Sting drops. And then he hits the real Sting. And then you just see Sting take off his mask. So that was the idea that I wanted to do. Uh Um, And I wanted to have Tony Hinchcliffe sit at the haters table and announce... Because he's a big wrestling guy, and he last minute he couldn't do it. Matt Edgar was supposed to cut a heel speech, basically saying Earl sucks. He's too much of a pussy to come out here and battle. And then he he was stuck at uh, what's that gig on Tuesdays in Long Beach? Harvell's. Harvell's, yeah. He calls. He says, "Dude, I can't make." It. And then I start panicking. This whole entrance is based on someone talking shit. So I went to the Verzi triplets. And I said, you guys got to cut, cut a bad guy speech. And they're like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, oh, man, just just start talking shit and I'll come out. And uh, I love those guys. Yeah. They taped like four of my sets that I could submit to Comedy Central for my half hour. So much love toward the Balducci triplets. <laughs> but um, let's just say uh, their, their cold reading skills are a little rough because they were literally... So I, I pass out 10... They're st- kind of hot to look at, though. Oh, they're great guys. Yeah, great they're, bodies. They're hot to look at. So I bought 10 Sting masks and a Sting shirt. So I spent $150 on this fucking intro. <laughs> I gave, like, Doug Fager a mask, Hooper a mask. And I thought I told them this. I said, listen, when they start their speech, you guys all come from different areas of the room. And all come in last. And so I hear them cutting the speech, and I poke my head through the door... And everyone's in a single file line. Like they're in a fucking Costco <laughs> checkout lane. And it was just horrible improv. And then Coach T hits the inner Sandman music, which I thought would get the room going. Uh-huh. And it's dead silent. I was going to go through the crowd. Uh, th- I was going to go through the OR, come back up. I had this entrance that was going to take 25 minutes. And with Al Madrigal as a judge, I was scared because he's Al's like you. He's hardcore. Like, yeah. Uh, he he was like, uh, and so I cut the entrance short. I just don't cut T. Turn the music off. Let's get this battle going. Because <laughs> I knew Benji would have great jokes, and I, you know, I was pretty comfortable with what I had. So I knew the battle would would save. The, it was a horrible entrance. Yeah. No. And I like, but it was a great battle. Like you and yeah. Benji were both hilarious. Well, Benji is like an he's an amazing comic, amazing writer. Um, and, you know, it was kind of a no win battle for me because it's like uh, if I beat him, uh, I think everyone in the room was like, well, dude, you just beat some guy who hadn't battled in three years. 
and if I lost to him, it's the same thing. Well, dude, you just lost to a guy who hadn't battled in three years. But he's so good. He'd be a top five roaster if he did it enough. Yeah, Benji um, still hates me from an incident we had in like 2008 or 2009. Was he hosting Potluck? No, he was hosting uh, Valley Nights. Remember when Tim Nar- Tim Mars had Valley Nights over Stove at... Piper. Uh, well, at this point, he had moved it. He had the Hollywood version. Okay. So he was trying to do it... Or not trying to do it. He was doing it at the Hollywood Improv. And he had asked me to do a set last minute. And Benji... Um, you know, that night, I, I wasn't planning on saying that I was gay because I was working on material that was regular. What? Just... You know, funny material, nothing to do with gay. And once I go into gay, then sometimes it's kind of hard to pull out of it. It's just like, okay, this is what we're doing now. Um, I've gotten better at that. But, you know, obviously, eight years ago, it was a lot different. (laughs) You know, like my growth and stuff like that. And so I, um, so Benji, before I went on stage, was like, hey, guy, hey, do you guys like gay Mexicans? And like, that was the worst intro to give me when I wasn't planning on going into that. Right. And uh, so I did, because, you know, and Benji probably didn't know this, but I wasn't supposed to be on the show that night. The night before, I had slept on the sidewalk because it was um, stand-up for diversity auditions. And so I had slept on the sidewalk the night before. I got very little sleep, and then Tim Mars hit me up and was like, hey, can you do my show? We had a last-minute fallout. And so... I forced myself to get out of bed and I was like, okay, I'm going to go do this show and work on the stuff that I have to work on. So I was there for a very specific purpose, but I was also really tired. And so I didn't want to have to deal with that. And so after, like I told Benji from the stage, like, you know, as soon as I got the microphone, I said something about him being a dick and, you know, like the audience started laughing and, um, like I kind of ripped him for a second and then, um, after I got off stage, you know, he introduced the next comic and then he comes out and then I was like, don't ever give me that kind of intro again. And so he was trying to explain why he gave me this terrible intro. And I was like, I'm telling you, don't ever give me that kind of intro again. I'm not asking why you did it. Right. I'm saying don't do it again. And then he goes into like kind of justifying. And I was like, okay, here's the short version, Benji. If you ever give me an intro like that again, I will beat your ass. And everybody was standing around at that point because you know how the vultures are in comedy. Oh, they love <laughs> fighting a potential fight to stand up comics is awesome. <laughs> yeah. But horrible for the two people who are going to fight because no one's going to break it up. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Nobody's going to break it up. And so um, Benji, you know, is not a fighter, which I didn't know that because he's always seemed kind of scrappy to me. So I thought he'd be perfectly comfortable with everything that was going on. So instead, I guess he got kind of intimidated and then, you know, stormed off. And then has been mad at me ever since. Like one time we had a quick chat and he was just like, you know, you threatened physical violence in a, in a world of words. And I was just like, 
I don't have time for this faggot shit. (laughs) I mean, that bumps me out because I love both of you. And, like, you both are great people. Well, the thing for me is I was mad that night and I just needed him to get that you don't... Because, like, that's my thing with everybody. Don't give me any kind of shitty, like, you know, he's gay intro, any of that kind of stuff. Just introduce me by whatever my credits are or by whatever show I've done or whatever you want to say about me. If you want to mention Unbothered, do that. But, like, you know, none of the, like, you know, he's gay, he's Mexican... all that's for me to tell the way I tell it when I tell it. Right. You know? And so that was my main thing with that. And I was just, I was particularly bitchy that night because I don't know how you sleep on sidewalks. Brutal. But I don't usually get any sleep. So I'm lucky if I got an hour of sleep and then I go home, you know, because that took until at least noon to do that audition and stuff. Then I get home and get like maybe three or four hours of sleep. And then I wake up to, you know, Tim Mars calling. Well, the night before I tried to sleep on a sidewalk and it didn't work out. And now I got four hours sleep and I make it down to the show and then I get a shitty intro. And so I was in a particularly bad mood. I can admit that, you know, Um, and I would have been fine if nobody had said anything. But like that shitty intro just set me off, you know? And, no, I get it. And the fact that he wouldn't get it. It wasn't even just the intro. It was the fact that he kept trying to explain why he had done it. And I found that when people explain why they're doing something, that means that they're likely to do it again because they think there's a good reason that they did it. Well, it's funny. I, uh, you mentioned that because I uh, might have had a conversation with the uh, person who uh, did that joke. Yeah. On Roast Battle, and it was, uh, to me anyway, obviously, the, the most insane logic. Uh, oh, dude, I wasn't really talking about you. And it's like, you know, you, you basically mentioned my age. I mean, I'm 48, but he said 50. Uh, you basically, her last boyfriend, uh, everyone in the room is going to know who you're talking about. It's not like you said, hey, I, you know, a guy from uh, so-and-so's past, which opens it up to, you know, yeah, to whoever various dudes. Yeah, dated in the back. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I get it, you know. I understand. So you had a conversation with this person. That was the other thing I was going to ask you, if you've had a conversation with the person. I mean, it was not to my satisfaction, but it's, I mean... I know who you're talking about, and that person doesn't give... um, I mean, the damage has been done, so it's like... And he's another one that's always got a reason for why he does things. And, I mean, like, I personally uh, haven't hot and cold relationship with this person in a way that like, you know, sometimes I just don't like the way that they insert themselves in things that they don't necessarily need to be involved in. And so, um, we've gotten into it before where it's just been like, you know, I don't know why you can't get that every once in a while. It's okay for you to keep your fucking mouth shut. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, if the joke was true, I would have had no problem with the joke. Uh, because when you sign on for roast battle, uh, you know, you sign up for the show, and the show is uh, if you're going up against someone good, which uh, nowadays, there's the, you know, you probably are, uh, you know, they're going to do research on you, and they're going to, you know, okay, Earl's uh, related to this family, he's uh, slept with these comics, he's this age, you know, I'm sense, I'm super sensitive, but you sign up for the show. When it comes to age, though, because a lot of times they do mention your age, do you even care about age? 
I love it because outside of Matt Broussard, the odds are I'm going to be looking better than whoever's on, I'm on stage with. Yeah. I don't mean that in a cocky way, but like, uh, I mean, Matt <laughs> Broussard. comics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's you're LA right. comics. Yes. I mean, it's like, come on. It's a, you know, have you seen us? We look like an Amber Alert billboard. <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, well. But I mean, Matt Broussard is a beautiful fucking human. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and so, but if it's not him saying it, it's like uh, I almost try and sucker people into talking about my age because it sets me up uh, for a rebuttal of like, well, I might be forty eight, but you're gonna die before me, so uh, I'm good. Uh, which the better battlers do, like uh, you know, when I first started watching Olivia battle, she would almost sucker. She would wear, you know. Um, you know, like a fair amount of makeup or whatever, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, I mean, she's beautiful with no makeup, but like she would wear like you know uh, makeup, and uh, she would sucker whoever she was battling into saying something about it, so she could then say, "Well, I might be wearing this amount of makeup, but I'm not gonna fuck you anyways." <laughs> or you know what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I try and do the same, where I, uh, you know, I hope you bring up my age. I hope you bring up. Uh, you know, my career because, uh, usually I'm, someone brings up my career. I can say, well, I'm past here and I get spots. You get spots at norms. <laughs> yeah. You're, uh, it that, see, that's the thing. A lot of people don't know about our relationship is I remember when it was before you started going to the comedy store and you used to almost exclusively go to the shittiest mics in town. Ireland's 32. We were both there the night that guy um, got his head cracked open with the with the pool ball. That was the Whiskey Bend. Whiskey Bend, yeah. And you know why we were all outside? I don't know if you remember this. No. But I had really bad gas that night. Oh, and I'm not, I'm not doing material. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I that's swear. why I hate you, because I know it's true. I know it's <laughs> Because I, uh, this was when I was lifting heavier weights. Like I was a maniac back then. Uh, so I was protein bars, powders, uh-huh. uh, pills that God knows what was in them once they dissolved. And I had just horrendous gas. And I farted, and we were all outside because it, it cleared out the whole bar. Uh huh. Except for uh, these like two guys who were arguing at the pool table, and then they piled out and. Uh, Guy opened up, uh, he had a gun. Yeah. And uh, I just, I remember looking at the gun, going, Jesus, that's a big fucking gun. And I think the guy he was going to shoot saved himself by saying, hey, man, I'm in the military. You can't shoot a vet. And uh, that's when I took off. <laughs> I was like, fuck this. Yeah, there was that part that night, though, where one of the gr- guys, I don't know if you were there for it, but one of the guys grabbed one of the one of the balls from the pool table yeah. and threw it at the other guy's head. And caught him right in the top of the head because the other guy kind of balled up. And so he threw it right at the top of the guy's head and the guy's head just started bleeding. It just busted him open. I think that's when we were outside because I think then the next thing was I remember seeing Richie the C, who, you know, is probably the only guy qualified uh, to uh, break up a fight amongst us. Yeah. Uh, he got... I think he was trying to get in between them, and then it all spilled out into the parking lot. And I remember I was sitting or standing next to Ian Bag. <laughs> Ian Bag was like, "Whoa, that's a big fucking gun!" <laughs> I'm like, I ran. So uh, I mean, but you know, I 
I I hung out at all those open mics because I was treated like a god. Yeah. Which held me back. Uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was like, wow, I obviously I wanted to be past at the store and the improv and other places, but it was like, I realized I, I was going to have to start over. Like, you know, you, you could be King Ireland's 32, but at the comedy store, you're just comic number 800. Yeah. Were you, um, when did you get past at the, co- or the, um, the improv? Uh, well, I mean, I, I was past there, like uh, Kelly Crabby, who, uh, you know, it's funny how you can remember someone you haven't seen in a decade. She uh, had seen me at the Laugh Factory because her, I'm going a little too inside here, but like her boyfriend, Ted, was on the show with me at the Laugh Factory. And she's like, well, you're great. You should go to the improv. I work there. And she, uh, you know, I was past, but I never got spots there, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Which always made me laugh when people would brag about getting an email from the improv for spots. I'm like, dude, we all get that email. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, uh, I mean, I've been past there for, I, I've gotten maybe 10 spots there in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the Comedy Store, I was past, uh, I think, the end, uh, December of 2013. Okay, so three years, four years now? Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like that, but... Uh, you know, right. Uh, well, just over three, technically. Yeah. Maybe a year into roast battle, I was, I was lucky that uh, the older uh, talent coordinator was relieved of his duties, and uh, part of it was luck that Adam, who's the new, or he's not the new, but uh, current current uh, talent coordinator, had seen me uh, open up for Rob Schneider and Jeff Richards at the Tempe Improv, where he worked at the time. So I, I I lucked out that you know I did pretty well I wasn't killing but you know as a host you I was doing better than most I guess and uh, so that's how Adam that was basically my showcase looking back at it Jeff and Rob used to work together yeah for a while it was uh, Jeff and Rob and then they would use various openers but uh, I don't think they were working out and uh, so Jeff one night asked me hey do you want to open up for Rob Schneider I. I'm just going to watch. And it was at uh, the West Side Eclectic Theater at the time, which is now... West Side Comedy Comedy Theater. Yeah, I think that's what it is, West Side Comedy Theater. Uh, Which is in Santa Monica, and uh, it was packed. I mean, this was when Rob was just getting back into doing stand-up, so like Adam Sandler was there and all his friends, and uh, it was just me and Rob. And uh, I did you know pretty well, and then uh, so I started working with them. And then about two years in, Jeff left to do his own thing. So I owe Jeff Richards a lot because, you know. Yeah, how long did you work with Rob? Uh, probably four years. And it was great. Like, it was, you know, at the time, you know, like, you're being exposed to these crowds that, I mean, you know they're all there to see Rob. But, like, to do a theater in New Mexico, 2,500 people. And it's like, wow, this is great. And is he still doing the road or? Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he. It's got a show on Netflix. I think it got picked up for season two. Uh-huh. And uh, so I don't work with him a lot anymore, but, we're, you know, we're still buds. And, uh, you know, I owe Jeff Richards a lot for that initial hookup. Did you get tired of doing the road or are you? Because I know you said it wasn't your favorite back then. I mean, like being on the road. Like you liked the shows, but you didn't like being on the road. I mean, it's, you know, I think after a while, and I know you've opened up for like a lot of big comics, uh, you know, you reach a... I'll uh, say. You know, well, like Joe Coy. <laughs> no, yeah. You know, I was like, just playing with the phrasing more than anything else. I mean, literally, <laughs> you've, opened, you've up for- opened up for some big comments. I'll say nine inches. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you reach a uh, 
you know, like you don't want to be an opening band forever, you know, so. Yeah, I have friends that do that and I don't know how they do that. Like they've been the same person's opener for years and I always feel like, yeah, that's cool. I guess forget it, keeping your bills paid, but just don't you want to eventually do your own thing and be the guy out front instead of in the background? But I guess. I mean, it's tough because, you know, like, you know, you're 2,500 people in New Mexico. We did these two theaters and, uh, Northern California was a thousand people a night, and it's, so it's just like, wow, when am I ever going to be in front of a thousand people again? Uh, but you definitely are like, all right, you know, it's like you have to reach a, a point in your mind where it's like, you know, I don't want to be anyone's opener for the next ten years. But the money's great. I mean, you know, yeah, that's where you'll get. It's, it's like you get kind of not addicted, but you know. You know, a lot of people are going to judge me speaking, and it's because we're talking about opening and stuff like that. A lot of people are going to judge me for this, so I'm going to make sure I get it out there before anybody else can. I actually did guest sets for Carlos Mencia a couple weeks ago. You know, a gig's a gig, you know. Someone's going to open for him. Uh... You know, a gig's a gig, and also, like, I know different people have had their own situations with him. This was my first time meeting him. He had never stolen anything from me, um, and I know that that's what people have said, and you know, like, and it appears to be true on certain in certain instances or whatever. But um, I just had a, f- a mutual friend invite me out, and they were like, you know, do you want to do guest sets? And the other thing is, <clears throat> Carlos Mencia has indirectly helped me because he was one of the main people that brought Joe Coy on and had you know gave Joe Coy his real start when it came to doing the road and then I ended up working with Joe Coy for a year and a half so you know and he's also helped several friends of mine like my friend Momo he had him on the road with him for a long time this um guy that invited me out this time Cisco Duran is his name he's been opening for him I think for like two years three years so it's just kind of like you know he's helped out a lot of people that I know and I did have an interest in especially when Everybody seems to be against somebody. I usually want to meet that person. I mean, I've seen him. At, I haven't seen him at the store in a while, but like, uh, I probably wouldn't do that gig myself just because uh, I, I don't want the negative energy that's around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like he maybe a couple years ago would come to the store and I would just see him sit in the back, like Mitzi's seat. And uh, I don't know what he was doing there. You, you know, some would say that he was, like, listening for jokes. Yeah. I, I don't know. know if he was or not. But there there was definitely an energy when he was in the room. Like, you felt him in the room. Like, I can't say that about a lot of comics. Uh-huh. And, uh, I mean, I somewhat believe in that aura around people. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely do. And with him, it was definitely there. And, like, people would walk out when he would come into a room and... Like, he'd go in the kitchen, and, like, you know, in the kitchen, people were talking, and then he'd come in, and kind of people would just, like, (laughs) dissipate away. I mean, he's never fucked me over, but, uh, you know, I'm much more, I guess you'd say, on Team Rogan than I would be on his side. Yeah, I haven't um, met Rogan, but I know a lot of the people that hang out with him, and I respect, you know, I mean, like... I, for the most part, try to keep it neutral on a lot of things because I have so many of my own battles that it's like I can't get involved in other people's or, you know, be kind of I just have to pick and choose what I get involved with because I'm like, I have my own shit going on. Yeah. I mean, Joe has been awesome to me. Like, 
you know, every time he mentions my name on his podcast, which he doesn't have to do, uh, I get like a hundred followers, which seems silly to, uh, you know, but like it helps me out. Yeah, it helps out a lot. You know, his fan base has been awesome to me. Uh, you know, the Death Squad whole network, uh, and he he's a big fan of roast battles, so like he talks about the show a fair amount. And, you know, I mean, I like him like I like you. He keeps it real. Like, yeah, I have yet to meet him. I don't have any. Um, I've never heard a bad story about him, or you know, I I just don't know him. We were in the green room at the same time in the belly room one night, but Todd Glass was also there, and he and Todd were talking right. quite a bit. And I was like, you know, I, I mean, don't it, get involved when I don't know people. I'm, I'm not. I don't understand the way new comics now will just jump in a conversation like if. The two of us are talking right. on the patio of the comedy store, and all of a sudden, some new comic comes up and starts talking. I feel like, why are you talking? Yeah, I mean, it's, well, especially at the comedy store, it's definitely I uh, don't call us, we'll call you type of vibe. Like, yeah, if me and Ty or you know uh, whoever you pick any two comics are talking. If we want you in on the conversation, we'll like somehow send out the bad signal for you to come over yeah you don't need to just volunteer yourself we're not it's not like we can't handle a conversation on our own yeah like if i see joe rogan talking to ron white uh, you know i I would say i'm friends with both of them i mean it's not like we hang out but uh, i'm not going to go up to him and just hey guys you guys playing cards uh, if they motion me over, I'll go over and talk. And uh, I literally ran into Ron White a couple weeks back at the store. He's the best. Yeah, I literally ran into him. I was walking halfway backwards, or somebody made me laugh, and I walked backwards a little bit, and I bumped into him, and it was kind of surreal turning around and having... Because, you know, I turn around to say excuse me to whoever it is I just sure. bumped into, you know? And I turn around and all of a sudden I was like, excuse me. And I was halfway through my excuse me while I was turning around. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's Ron White that I just bumped into. And yeah, he was super nice about it. He was cool. He just keeps it real. And like, that's a guy you can't get any more successful than he is. I mean, he makes millions doing comedy, literally. And like one night in the main room of the the... The green room of the main room of the comedy store. He was talking to me and Olivia and just keeping it real and just like he wasn't talking shit, but he was just like this business is, <laughs> you know, just like it was neat to see someone that like successful. Just well, that's what you want to hear. Like a lot of times from the the big comics, you know, when they talk to you, it's almost like yeah, I want to hear what the what the real problems are because I know what the problems are on this level. Yeah, it's like a lot but of- I look at you and I think everything's perfect because you're Ron White, and then all of a sudden you let me know, like even when you're here, it's not a hundred percent perfect. Yeah, I mean, uh, they get. I'm not speaking about Ron, but like you know, I'm I was lucky enough to get on the show. I'm dying up here. Uh, on Showtime that's coming out in a couple months and there were comics who auditioned that didn't get it or whatever and and they were bitching and like these were pretty big name comics so it's like big name comics get rejected too. What'd you do on the show? Can you say? Uh, Yeah, I was... uh, They saw me at Roast Battle, uh, the main writer and uh, I think I'm in like the last four episodes uh, playing a bitter late night comic. You know, everything sucks. 
just doing the same set night after night. You know, he just get just got divorced. <laughs> you know, his wife's with some younger dude or whatever. So it's really a, yeah. So you actually have lines, and you're yeah. not just okay. Good. I mean, yeah. I'm not like a monster part of the show, but you know, a couple lines uh, in each episode. Yeah, no, um, that's great. But you know, it's I know a lot of people audition for that show, uh, and uh, you, you know, so big name comics get rejected too, which I think a lot of people don't figure that out. Oh, I figured that. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen like a lot of yeah. I've I've been privy to a lot of those conversations <laughs> from both ends where people have been like you know oh yeah he was a dick when he came in and we thought he was yeah like and then yeah from the comic being it's sometimes i've heard both sides of the same story which is always the best when you get to actually hear separately what's because you can usually put together what the real story was from oh, yeah. what the what the the two parties will tell you, you're like, okay, I'll tell you what sounds like it makes sense. Well, it's like with breakups, like, you know, if, uh, if you were to uh, ask girlfriend number one uh, why we broke up, you'd probably get 90% of the same story. And then that last 10% would be maybe different than mine. Yeah, so, girlfriend number one, I hooked you up with. Right, right. But I, I mean, uh, <laughs> I guess you could say that about any couple, like, you know. Yeah, but I remember I hooked you guys up and it was this weird cat and mouse situation because there was somebody else that was on their way out of the picture. Yeah, and it yeah, was, yeah. It was uh, a whole, uh, that was girlfriend uh, 1B, I guess we'll call it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and we're friends now. So, um, I mean, we're not, we don't like hang out, but like we... Buried the hatchet. And How hard was the death of Lemmy on you? It was tough because, uh, you know, I hadn't seen him in a couple years. The last time I saw him, for those of you uh, who don't know, my I used to date a lovely, uh, we'll call her girlfriend 1B. Um, she, uh, she is uh, part of the management team of Motorhead, so I became friendly with Motorhead and Lemmy. Uh, I would give Lemmy a ride to the dentist on several occasions. They would also send me over to make sure Lemmy was still alive at several uh, points. Uh, it was tough. Uh, you know, the last time I saw him was at the gas station on Sunset in San Vicente. Mm -hmm. Not to be too local, but uh, and he did not look good. Uh, and it was like, well, I don't even want to say hello to him. I, I want to remember the Lemmy I knew. And, uh, of course, he lived like two years after that. When you say he didn't look, look good. Fra very frail. Okay. Uh, and uh, just... Uh, but still rocking and rolling until the end. I think he had a bottle of Jack in his hand and uh, I think a black stripper or a lady friend with him. So, uh, you know, he looked at me like he knew me, but I'm like, ah, I don't want to bother him. You know, it's just, uh, I want to remember him. You know, if, one of the saddest pictures I've ever seen was at his birthday party, his last birthday party. Uh, Russell Peters took a picture with him and it's just like, oh, man. And I think he died like a week later or something. So, uh, yeah, I saw his Netflix, uh, that documentary yeah. they did about him. And that was a few years ago, and he still looked like a little rough. Uh, Where did he live? What area was that? He lived on uh, Harrod Street, which is right, uh, behind, not behind the rainbow, but uh, down from the rainbow. So uh, he lived there forever. I used to go over and water his plants. And uh, that uh, documentary, 
doesn't even begin to capture the magic of that apartment because there was so much stuff in that apartment you couldn't see the carpet. Yeah. Like videotapes. Uh, you know, probably the funnest story I can tell is uh, girlfriend 1B asked me to uh, go get his mail one day. I'm like, well, where are the keys? Uh, top dresser drawer in the living room. So I go over there, I pull open the drawer, and hundreds of black Polaroids fall out of him getting blown. <laughs> so I'm petrified. I'm picking up all these pictures, trying to make sure he knew no one saw them. And I start looking at the pictures, and then I look where I'm standing, and it was in that exact spot where he was while he was getting collated. <laughs> and then I start looking around the apartment. I was I was frozen. I literally couldn't move. I was so like, oh my god, I'm in the same spot. And then there's three video cameras pointed right at my crotch. So uh, I think Lemmy was a bit of a voyeur. Yeah, that's what he liked POV. Yeah, and a couple other things. Uh, but One B asked me, were they were they pretty girls? Were they young? Were or was it just you know they're not my type? But uh, I don't really have a type actually. So. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know he had a sign. Yeah, not they weren't for me. A little rough, huh? A little green around the gills. <laughs> but I was a asked, little green around the gills. Gain green, more like it. But I was asked to be the usher at Lemmy's funeral because one uh, B was like, oh, Earl, uh, you're going to be the only one who knows who these guys are because they, you know, there's a seating chart. Yeah, and it's like you you have to sit Rob Halford from Judas Priest. How does uh, Rob Halford look? Right. Does he? I mean, I've seen him in concert. He doesn't move like he used to, uh, but he still, you know, for the most part, can sing like he used to. Uh, and then it's like, well, you can't sit Gene Simmons next to D. Snyder because they're not really fans of each other. And, you know, I'm like, okay. And then, of course, like, Gene Simmons walks in, and I'm, like, the biggest fucking Kiss fan. So you're trying not to act excited because you're at someone's <laughs> fucking funeral. And uh, Gene was supposed to be in, like, the sixth or seventh row. And he's like, I want to sit in the front. I'm like, oh, well, they told me to sit in the hair. Uh, and, you know, I'm, like, trying to be, like, diplomatic about it. And, of course, he sits in the front. And um, Yeah. And well, then, when Gene Simmons says... Yeah, oh, he's the best. And his kids were at Roast Battle last week. Oh, okay. Uh, Nick and Sophie, and uh, they're like, we're coming back every week. This is just shows insane. How's Nick looking these days? He looks just like his dad. Yeah. To me, like a six foot eight, 25-year-old version of Gene. Mm -hmm. um, and the daughter's beautiful, and, and they were really cool. Um, and I like that they didn't make a fuss about, hey, we're Gene Simmons' kids. We want to... You know, they were they're just like two normal teen, not teenagers, but um, young, young kids. adults. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but it was, uh, it was sad to lose Lemmy. And then like about three weeks later, I think Jimmy Bain, who was the bass player in Dio, he passed. And uh, Wendy Dio, uh, Ronnie Dio's wife, uh, was uh, like, hey, um, Girlfriend 1B, can you get that usher back? Because he's going to know who to seat and where. And so I, three weeks later, I'm at the same funeral home seating, you know, Vivian Campbell from Def Leppard. And no one, none of the people at the funeral home knew who he was. I'm like, oh, my God, that's the guy from Def Leppard. Hey, Mr. Campbell, you're right here. And, you know, uh, at Lemmy's funeral, I'm seating Triple H, the wrestler, and, and Dave Grohl, uh, you know, they gave Dave Grohl and uh, Triple H gave the best speeches. Uh, probably one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life was uh, 
and I don't think anyone will mind me saying this, but uh, after everyone had left, uh, me and um, like most of Motorhead's management, uh, a few other people went to give Lemmy a goodbye at his uh, final resting uh, place, and uh, I'm standing next to Dave Grohl, and we're like both crying, and uh, you know it's, it's the most surreal. Like they have Lemmy on one side of the uh, cemetery, and then directly across from him, it's like it's meant to be as Ronnie Dio's um, the resting, uh, you know, gravestone. And his gravestone is like Dio's gravestone. It's like looks like a stage. It's, like, <laughs> it's massive, and it's got like two devil horns things on both sides. I guess they had to get like permission to get the devil horns. Uh-huh. Um, and it was just like so surreal to like be in between two rock legends, and then have Dave Grohl, like you know, this massive rock star himself, just crying, and and it was just like uh, it's like very uh, just like. Was so, anybody yeah. a dick? Was anybody trying to make it about them? There was one dick. I won't say who they are, but um, uh, there were some guys from Kiss there. Uh, Eric Singer, the drummer, uh, who's a great uh, friend of mine. He's an awesome dude. Uh, he gets a lot of shit because they dress him up as Peter Chris. Uh-huh. And it's like, you know, you talk about it's a gig. Who's going who's to turn down drumming and Kiss? Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, so there was this one uh, gentleman, I won't say his name, but he's, uh, let's just say he's got uh, a lot of history in Kiss. Uh, uh, he, he sits next to Eric, and uh, he was sitting in Slash's seat. Uh, so, of course, Slash walks in, um, and he's got this pretty big bodyguard, who I had known from Equinox, uh, and uh, he wouldn't get up out of Slash's seat. So, you know... You're trying to like, and th- this guy was really sad actually about Lemmy because they had uh, worked on a lot of albums together. And but I, like you know, it's like I got Slash and his massive bodyguard. And I'm like, uh, hey dude, you, get, you gotta get out. And he's like, no, I'm not fucking moving. And, and you're like trying to be like, okay, I know you lost Lemmy. I know you guys were tight, but this is Slash's seat. And the bodyguard's being cool because he, he he didn't know my name, but he, he recognized me. He's like. He's even starting to tap me on the shoulder, going, "Dude, Slash wants to sit down." And I'm like, "You know, what? Hey, brother, you got to get up." And there's, I'm not moving. I'm like, "Well, Todd and One B told me." And I'm like, "You know, this is Slash's seat." And so it got into a little bit of an ordeal. And luckily, One B came over and massaged it. And Slash was cool, and, and the bodyguard was very cool. But uh, yeah, she's good with that. Well, she's a. Uh, uh, Pitbull when she has to be. And I mean that in the most uh, respectful way. Like, yeah. you know, her job's very hard. She she works for, you know, the number one concert company. And she, her, she's, it's almost like being a talent coordinator at the comedy store. Someone's always going to be pissed at you. So she works these massive outdoor concerts where, you know, Metallica's manager is saying, well, we were promised six tickets. And she's like, well, I have three. This is what you're getting. And then, you know, someone from, uh, you know, Motley Crue's management. Well, we were promised, like, well, Metallica's getting three, you're getting two. Uh, <laughs> know your role. Uh, but she's like the sweetest person, you know her. Yeah. She's awesome, but, you know, you've got to be a bitch at times. So she and her, uh, she was very cool, and, of course, the guy got up and Slash got to sit. 
And especially with personalities like that, you do have to be very firm with them in some cases because they're used to everybody being, everybody's willing to bend for them. Right. And so they, when it's stuff like that, they do need somebody to remind them that really, when it comes down to it, you're in a room full of other people that are on your same level. Everybody yeah. wants special treatment here. So it's just designed this way for a reason, and I need you to get up <laughs> because... This is where somebody's already sitting. I mean, if there weren't Lemmy's funeral, I would have been a, a tad more aggressive in my approach. But uh, it really wasn't the time or place. You know, people are crying. You've got all these rockers who, like, you know, are crying. And, uh, you know, I, it was just like... Was it pretty sober? The stories were amazing. Uh, I mean, it's Lemmy. So it's like, this is... Even if you're not a Motorhead fan, you know who Lemmy is. Uh and you know, he, just to put it into perspective, his history in in the music world is like he was Jimi Hendrix roadie. Like that's he used to get speed for Jimi Hendrix. So, yeah, uh, that's his history. And then you know, Motorhead's. You know, we've all seen the T-shirt. Like if you don't know their music, you know the T-shirt. Uh, yeah, I have a Motorhead T-shirt. Yeah. And you're not a typical Motorhead. No, fan. no, I'm not. And that's like. How iconic they are is their logo is amazing. They sell more T-shirts than fucking CDs. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, like Triple H, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Triple H just because he kind of buried my guy Sting when he came into the WWE. <laughs> but I don't want to turn this into a wrestling thing. But like, <laughs> he really, you talk about someone getting fucked over. Sting was the only guy to never go to the WWE. Uh -huh. You got to give him that. And he was like, no, I'm a reborn Christian. I'm not into this fucking brawn panties matches you guys are having. But, you know, he finally, it's a business decision. He, you know, WWE has the rights to everything. Uh -huh. You know, you want to make money. If you're an older wrestler, you need the video rights to your matches. So, uh, you know, he, he caved in and they just fucking buried him, you know, Triple H beat him in his first match at WrestleMania. Just give the guy one fucking win. Yeah. At WrestleMania. Made him look like to be a fucking buffoon. And uh, so I'm not the biggest Triple H fan, but at Lemmy's funeral, uh, he just was crying and he told a great story. And he would always uh, have Motorhead do his music, his walkout music, uh -huh. which put a lot of money into their pockets. Yeah. So uh, he, he didn't, you know, he could have. WWE has an in-house guy who could just make generic music. Uh -huh. And uh, Triple H went out of his way to make Motorhead money, so I, I'll give him that. Yeah. How old is Sting? Sting's 56, man. Sting's 56? Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. You know, because I remember him when he was like all fucking jacked. Oh, he was so fucking hot when I was young. Yeah. I remember Sting was he was definitely in the Kitty Spank Bank for Ty Rivera. <laughs> Sting, if you're out there, yeah, you still was, got it, baby. What'd you think of the um, Ric Flair and Halle Berry situation? Or I mean, I don't. Ric Flair uh, he fit in well in the LA comedy world. I'm not sure if he's done half the things he said he's done, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think he ever hooked up with her. Yeah. You know, I think he did it to get a little publicity. And <laughs> it worked. I mean, we're talking about it on a non-wrestling podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Dave Grohl told a great story about, uh, he loved Lemmy. Like, 
see someone like Dave Grohl, the guy from Nirvana, crying. Telling, mm-hmm. He'd go over to Lemmy's house and they'd write music. Uh, and he, like, it was surreal in that sense to see uh, just like, these legends of wrestling and Rob Halford's crying. And, you know, everyone has a good Lemmy story. The, I think the bass player from uh, Metallica, Robert Trujillo, he had a great story. Were they drinking and partying or was it more just like. I think Robert Trujillo's story, and I'm not probably going to remember it. Uh, Robert Trujillo picked him up, at, uh, picked Lemmy up at his apartment, and he had like a low rider, you know, because he's, you know, he's like, I don't think he's a cholo, but he's, he's yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, he played in suicidal tendencies, uh-huh. so he's a skateboarder, I guess. Uh, uh, is there a term for a Mexican skateboarder? No, not that I know of. Yeah, uh, I just. But he was the, you know, he had the cholo lowrider car, and I guess he picked Lemmy up, and of course the car wouldn't start. So here he is. You know, if you're a bass player, Lemmy is a god to, you know, it's like us looking up to, you know, Seinfeld or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, so I can imagine the, the nerves Robert Trujillo had. Like, even though you're in Metallica, you're still picking up Lemmy, and your car won't start. And so uh, it was a really funny story about that. And, uh, you know, like Rob Halford had a great story because they, they were, I think they're around the same age. Uh, Rob might be a little younger. Uh, so it was just like, you're trying not to fan out. Yeah. You're like, you know, I love that kind of music. And, you know, Gene Simmons was there. He didn't, t- he didn't get up. But, uh, you know, it's like kind of hard. Even like the more obscure guys. I mean, oh, my God, that's the bass player from uh, Trickster. I can't <laughs> believe he's here. You know, but like Shelly, uh, oops, uh, 1B would have killed me. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll beep it no, out. No, no, it's cool. You can leave it. <laughs> you can leave that in. Because, uh, you know, she knows how much I, uh, we're, we're, we're good. Uh, 1B would uh, kill me if I was like, oh my God, it's the guy from Rat. Uh, ooh. <laughs> ooh. ooh. <laughs> what about um, Barris Kennedy Overdrive? Is that ever going to have a reunion? Um, I mean, we don't do it nearly as much. Uh, not for any particular reason. Uh, I think, you know, Don uh, likes to, uh, you know, do his stand-up and, and, and uh, routines uh, a little more now than he used to. Uh, and, you know, I certainly like being thought of as a, a stand-up, you, you know, up there. Uh, I think when I was doing uh, BKO, uh, it was great. I mean, it got me stage time that I never would have gotten. Uh, and so I owe Don a lot for that. You know, it's like, you know, because I was pretty depressed around that era of like, you know, I want to be doing stand-up here. And like, I'm, uh, Tommy was showing me no love. I could, I've never even done Pollock to this day. I've never, yeah. never got on Pollock. Um, never was on Friends and Family. Uh, so I, like, I looked at the band as like, Hey, this is a spot and, you know, Tommy would watch a lot. So I'd try and throw out some lines that would get laughs. But, uh, looking back, it was probably pretty ridiculous to think I was impressing him by, you know, you know, doing some weird music joke. It was, it was never, I don't think he was ever going to pass me. So knowing that now, it's kind of silly, but uh, I would do it. Uh, every now and then Don says like, Hey, let's do the band. We do it, and the crowd loves it. Yeah, for anybody that doesn't know, um, Barris Kennedy Overdrive was this late night. Um, Earl was the chair drummer. We had several guests, guitar players. Yeah, Dan Madonia. Sometimes it was... Hinchcliffe. Uh, yeah, Jason. Uh, Tebow, Jason Tebow. Yeah, uh, uh, and then little Esther, when she first started coming around, Esther Pavitsky was, yeah. um, like played a runaway or like a... 
13-year-old girl that had been abandoned by her family and because she looked so young, the audience, it was funny watching the audience like slowly figure out that this girl isn't really a 13-year-old that's been abandoned by her parents. Because a lot of times at the beginning of the show, when she would get on stage, people would be like, oh my God, and like really buy into it. Because Don would set it up by saying, see, her parents are in a van right over there. And like he'd point to some van that's parked on Sunset. And then, you know, they'd be a little weirded out by that. And then Don would say something like, I bet you have a hairy pussy. <laughs> and the people were like, what the fuck? And then, uh, you know, Don, Don can win. O- Don's amazing. He can win over anyone by saying the craziest I stuff. know. Like uh, stuff that you and I would never get away with. Yeah, I know. He's got that lovable, like, boyish grin on his face and like you know he, he had some older lady on stage the other night like a mo- like a grandma uh talking about her hairy pussy and like the grandma's loving it the grandkids are in the crowd loving it like if you or i did that it'd be like you're a fucking creep <laughs> yeah don don has a way of making people just forget whatever their hang up is and have fun in yeah. the moment and then I was talking about it with Tony Hinchcliffe the other night. The um, the way you guys used to, or the way that they would like uh, work the lights at the comedy store before they started doing BKO. I didn't even know the comedy store lights did all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's like a whole system over in that back corner of uh, spotlights and different colored spotlights. Yeah, I thought it was just, you know, like a standard, like a spotlight and then like, you know, those lights that you can obviously see. But I didn't know that like it looks like a strip club or like a rock club once they really start, you know, working the lights in there. Yeah, I mean, there's a a switch that turns on all the red lights of the comics names, you know, like the famous like Dice's Mm -hmm. name and Roseanne and Tim Thomerson and all those guys. I don't... I love Tim Thomerson. I'm a huge fan. But people like, he was a huge comic back then. Huge. I mean, there's so many comics like him that were like, if you got your name in the comedy store OR, you were big. You know. Yeah, I never knew Tim Thomerson in my whole life. Or knew, I still haven't seen him. And so when, I, when you said that, I thought you were being a smart ass. No, not at all. Like, there was like... Um, he, you know, he was huge and like a major, major headliner, and and he was in like a lot of films and, uh, you know, uh, if your name is on those neon things in the original room at the comedy store, you were big. Uh, so I, I, I love me some Tim Thomerson. Yeah, so you've seen him. You know what he does. Yeah, you know? I don't think he does comedy anymore. I think he's just one of those guys from the 80s, 70s. It just I think he, someone said he had moved to La Jolla or San Diego and just you know probably lives off of royalties from all the movies he's been in, and uh, you know, which kind of is sad. I, like, I don't ever want to be that. Like, I never want to retire from Stan. Yeah, no, I don't want to either. That's not a goal of mine at all. I mean, we we got a ways before we get to that phase of our life. I'll get there quicker than you will, but <laughs> you know, I I want to be like Don Rickles, still performing. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to quit unless I absolutely have to. You know, I guess at some point in my life, if my memory starts going or something like that, then I could see how it would be time to quit. But you know, as long as I'm able to get on a stage and do jokes, I definitely want to do that. 
Although yeah. I've I've flirted with the idea of disappearing completely just because it would be such a head fuck to so many people. Well, I've thought of doing that. Uh, not quitting comedy, but like like I said, if, if I didn't have the podcast, I would delete all my social media. Do it Angelo Bauer style. Just like, but you can't like, you know, if you're promoting a show like this, it's like your your, your numbers would drop eighty percent if if you. Yeah, there's no way of getting the word out there, really. Yeah, it's I don't I don't know how people do this without social media right now. I think eventually Angelo Bowers would have had to fold and start, you know. Yeah, I mean, like he would would have been so much more well known. Uh, but he he didn't give a fuck. So, uh, you know, I mean, I hate asking people to be my online friend, but you got to do it. Like, just there's no way around it. You know, if you want, you know, it, it's like great to do it for the art, but at the end of the day, you want people to listen. Yeah, you want people to listen. You want to be able to make money. All of that yeah. is necessary. So, um, are you going to be at roast battle tonight? I've got double duty tonight. I have a, a rare Tuesday night spot in the original room at 12.15. My friend Greg Roke is the main event tonight. He's uh, amazing. Greg is the main event tonight? I love Greg. It's a five... Uh, it's not a three-rounder. It's a one-rounder, but it's still a main event. And, uh, like, he's a great, great dude. And he just got accepted into UCLA, so... Uh, Who's he against? Jacobs, I might be getting the last name wrong. Skimmer, Skinner, uh, big, bald, white supremacist-looking guy. So it's a nice dynamic of this kind of good-looking dude in a wheelchair mm-hmm. uh, against you know a neo-Nazi-looking guy. And uh, yeah, I've seen Greg's jokes; are pretty, yeah, they're, you know, they're good. He's good. Yeah, no, Greg is one person that I um, chat with a bit on Facebook Messenger. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I just like him. I, I um, think he's funny. and um, He's just a good, humble dude. Yeah, good writer as well. And I like that, um, you know, before his and Frank's last battle, Frank Castillo... Right. He told Frank that he wanted to... The only thing that would disappoint him is if he didn't go for him like he was any other comic, you know? Like, if he if he didn't do... Yeah, you have to. The edgy, the, like, go for whatever, don't go easy on me, basically. And I respect that, you know? Because there are some people that, even though they do roast battles, seem to at least a little bit hide behind their disability or their privilege. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, you have to go all in when you roast battle. Like, I lost to Sarah Tiana because I didn't go all in. I was very um, nervous about, and I love Sarah Tiana. Like, I have had a crush on her forever. Like, mm-hmm. she's, even though I don't have a type, she's my type. Like, yeah. if I were, like, uh, but, you know, it, it's it's not compliment battle. You have to kind of make up stuff if, if, you feel like I do towards Sarah, but I, uh, I was very um, concerned about Sarah Silverman judging. I was like, well, I can't really say she's fat, and she's not, but you know, yeah, uh, I can't really go after the age, and she's not old, but you know, I just can't sit there and go, hey, Sarah's great. Uh, so I kind of held back, and I got killed. Uh, you know, so it's, you can't, uh, well, roast battle though, like roast battling to me and I haven't done it, you know, I just watch it a lot. I'm going to be there tonight as well. Um, but roast battle to me is a lot like when you watch somebody draw like the caricature 
Right. It's like you do have to exaggerate the nose or you do have to, you know, I mean, because that's what it is. You take these things that in some cases are somewhat subtle and you blow them up, you know. So if a person's got five extra pounds, you talk about them like they're the fattest person in the world. Yeah. If a person, you know, like dates a few comics, then you make it seem like they're the biggest slut on the scene or, you know, it's just the way it works. And it's all not malicious in the end, but that really is what you do with everything, you know. It's just kind of like... There's the guys that are like Greg Rock that are in the wheelchair and stuff like that. And then, you know. You have to go at him. Like, he's too good. Uh, if you, like, Greg is fucking good. Uh, yeah, you'll get beat up, like, yeah, verbally beat up you if you get, don't, you know, go for him in the wheelchair and anything you can come up with about him. Like, the first joke I did against Tiana was like a cute, clever abortion joke that, you know, it was good, but it didn't kill. And her first joke killed. And when you're in a one-round battle, uh, you know, when you get behind the eight ball, it's almost, it's not impossible, but it's very hard to recover. And I just was playing catch-up. And I still, I love the abortion joke. And I thought, oh, Sarah Silverman will love it. It's an edgy abortion joke. And uh, she liked it. She didn't love it. Yeah. um, Sarah Tiana did this toxic shock syndrome joke. Um, I don't remember whose battle it was on, but it was like, you know, at the, um, on the first season. Right. And I ended up having to tweet her about it because I just thought it was such a clever yeah. joke. She's... I can't even remember how it went, but I was like, yeah, that's definitely. And it didn't get enough love, though, because I don't think enough people... Well, I don't think enough people even know about toxic shock syndrome right. anymore. You know, like really old hear school. about... Yeah, it is. It was old school, but it was such a clever joke and such a good joke. And Sarah Silverman um, mentioned it in the judging, you know, right. like what a great joke it was. But it was kind of lost on the audience, which which sucked. Well, it's like, you know... It, but that's the great thing about Roast Battles. You, you know, like I learned a lesson that night. Like, don't be concerned. Because Mike Lawrence's first joke about Sarah was an age joke, and it was mean, and it was brutal, and it probably won him the tournament. Uh, so I, I learned a lot. Uh, was Sarah Silverman at all? Um... No, well, I know Sarah, what got into my head was I know Sarah Silverman was, um, I think she was pissed off or, or didn't like the jokes done on her. I, I think it was the James Franco. Yeah, it was James Franco. About age against her. And, and obviously Sarah Silverman's hot, and she's not old. But, you know, once again, it's like... You, just can't sit up there and say nice things. So I was like, well, I can't do that against Tiana. They're friends. And I knew that Judd Apatow, who's awesome, he's an awesome dude, but I had a feeling that he would vote with Sarah. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, I was trying to get Sarah's heart, uh, you know, kind of like how I did against Jimmy Carr, where I, I won over Jimmy Kimmel, and I had a feeling that Seth Rogen would probably vote with Jimmy Kimmel. Mm-hmm. Uh it, which was the case, so uh, you know. But that's you know, th- that's a great. That's what I really love the most about roast battle. It's very much like UFC, where like every now and then in the UFC, someone who's a total underdog will win, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone loses. There's not one undefeated fighter, I think, in the UFC, and that's how it is in roast battle. Like uh, you know, Sarah Tiana beat me. I beat K. Trevor Wilson, who's amazing. I mean, he's like a legend. Mm-hmm. He beat Sarah Tiana. So it's like, who's better? Well, they've all three beaten each other, like in the circle. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, you know, that's why rematches, uh, although rematches don't happen a lot, uh, you know, they're, they're, I think, 
Rust Battles open to rematches because like anyone can win on any given night. So it's, uh, you know, I lost to Whitney Rice. She'd never done a battle before. Yeah. So uh, beginner's luck does play in sometimes, though. You know, people. But she's do. good. Yeah. Like, she was really, uh, you know, we went into like double overtime, and this is when the show was still pretty young. And uh, I had my iPad on stage, and like, you know, it, I almost took it to, uh, like, there I went too mean on her. Like, she's beautiful. Uh, like, she looks like Julia Roberts and, uh, like, a younger, prettier version. And I learned a lesson that night. Uh, you know, and I'm almost contradicting myself with what I just said about Tiana. But, like, with Whitney, I was, like, she had a joke about me using Viagra, I think, or something. Uh -huh. And I'm like, uh, well, maybe I wouldn't have to use Viagra if your tits were as big as your fucking nose. <laughs> And like I said, you will not find a girl prettier in the comedy scene than Whitney. Uh -huh. She's stunning. And she's in this one-piece outfit. I mean, a tin body. And I'm sitting there. The crowd hated me after I did that joke. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it's you it, You have to walk a line, uh, you know. And it really depends on who you're battling. And it's like... Uh, when I battled Olivia, it was like, and you've seen in a lot of battles with Olivia where she's so likable, you can't attack her. You can't directly go, you are this, because she will set, it sets her up to just ram you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's why she wins 99% uh, of her battles. And, you know, in our battle, I was silly with her. And, like, it, we went into, like, double overtime. And, uh, you know, you can't. If you're facing someone likable, like you have to play with them to a degree, or you'll you'll you can't look like a dick. Yeah, it is it, that is important too. Yeah, you. It's like with Greg, like he's in a wheelchair. You get you got to like straddle the line of like, okay, well, I gotta like, I gotta hit him on this. But if you're too dicky, he's so likable. He'll fucking kill you. Yeah, tonight um, I'm going to be there. I'm glad that Greg's going to be the um, main event because I get to see that too now. But I'm there to see my friend Carmen Morales. Okay. She's going to be, this is her second battle. The first one, she absolutely rocked it. Who did she battle? I don't remember who it was against. Um, yeah, I don't remember who it was against, but... She's it was so great, and now this time she's against Brent uh, Erickson. I think that's Doug Stanhope's. Uh, yeah, uh, right hand mind. I mean, you know, he's funny, but you know, this is like, uh, and there's a, another battle tonight I'm interested in. It's uh, Julian McCullough, who's great as a judge. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is his first battle against Ben Glebe. Who this is his first battle? Yeah, that's a that's a high end battle actually. You know, like they're both. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, Ben's a great comic, but this ain't comedy. You know, like yeah. I've seen a lot of uh, great great stand ups uh, not necessarily do well at uh, at this. It's a different. You know, you know, you you've been in the room. It's um, just because you're a great comic. You, it's like doesn't mean you're going to be a great roast battler. Yeah, no, I'm excited to see how it goes. Uh, where can people find you, Earl? All over. 
you know, I'm on uh, the usual spots, Twitter and uh, Instagram, at Earl Skakel. It's just E-A-R-L-S-K-A-K-E-L. Um, and Inappropriate Earl's on SoundCloud and iTunes and uh, at the Comedy Store a fair amount. And, uh, dude, this is literally... We all know people who do hundreds of podcasts. I mean, there's hundreds, thousands. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've never wanted to be... Outside of the Joe Rogan experience, this is the only other one that I've gone... God, I hope he asked me. Yeah, and I've been hoping to get you on forever. It was just a matter of actually making it over here to you. Because I know that when you live in West Hollywood... You don't want to leave West Hollywood. Everybody that I know that lives in this area is just like, yeah, I kind of walk everywhere and I don't really like leaving West Hollywood. So I was like, I got to make it over to Earl. Well, I would have come to your house. Uh, That's how badly I wanted to do this podcast because here's what I love about you. You keep it real. I think we've known each other for 15 years. Yeah. We've never really had one dust up. I mean, maybe one semi-like misunderstanding in, yeah in, in minor 15 years minor. that's pretty good uh, oh yeah uh, you know uh, I, you are one of the few if i quit comedy tomorrow i would still talk to you oh yeah same yeah Just and like, there's not a lot that i would talk to you saw what happened to deb and isaac anyway oh. uh <laughs> See, ty, that's what i love about ty is uh you know i didn't name names today because uh even if i don't like someone uh they're not here to defend themselves it's easy on podcasts too. I know there was a recent podcast. Uh, I won't say the guy's name because I'm uh, where a big name comic was ripping into the comedy store and and the comics that are put up there. And, and this is someone who was accepted by the last talent coordinator, um, you know, and he was just shitting on a lot of people, a lot of good people up at the store. And it's like, why don't you have them on your podcast? You guys can have a debate or like an open like forum uh, where you could say well i don't like your job performance well this is why i don't give you spots blah 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 so that's why i don't name names just yeah no i i'm i'm gonna after we get done here i'm gonna ask you who that like what, i will tell what you. i can listen to so i can hear the whole yeah. thing yeah um everybody you can find me at america's favorite fag and um thank you for listening to unbothered by ty rivera everybody be good botherinas. Thank you, Earl. Two tops don't make a bottom. I hate you. <laughs>